Would you open your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 9? This is our communion Sunday, and I want to take another opportunity to honor the Lord and the healing message that he has brought to us in the Bible. I don't know that we'll ever hear too much about healing. I don't. Because most of our prayers have to do with healing. Most of the things that we pray for is for healing and well-being. There's other things also, but I think most of our prayer has to do with healing. So it's constantly before us. Physical well-being seems to be a constant. It never goes away. Some things are a whole lot worse than other things are. Some are extremely serious. Some are not so much. But it's always there. And because we have read and discovered as Christians that healing is from the Lord for His people. It's called children's bread. And He's given that to His children, to His church. It is something better than what the world can offer us. The world can offer us its latest finding, its laboratories, its drugs, its operations, its procedures. That's the best they can do. But the, the medical profession cannot cast out demons. And they've never done that. They wouldn't know anything about that because they don't relate the two. We do. So we know that we're in a warfare. And one aspect of our warfare is healing and health. And a lot of people are being robbed of it and being cheated out of it because of ignorance or a lack of understanding and not perceiving what God is saying. I personally believe that most of the Christian world is in darkness concerning this message, I really do. You should not be, and I don't want any of us to be, because I want you to know not only in whom you have believed, but in what you have believed, and that you could prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, this is a story about blindness, about faith, and about healing. And it's a message in the Bible for us not only to read, but to be encouraged by. In spite of anything else the devil's doing, we have this. Because blindness, most of the time, blindness is never healed. You hear a story occasionally of somebody whose vision was restored. But blindness is pretty permanent. You can't really get it much worse than that kind of a handicap, I think, as far as functioning in the world, working and doing and so forth. But he said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto him, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. The fame of him spread abroad. There was nowhere he could go to get away from crowds of people that always wanted something. But that goes with a ministry like that. But think of the picture here. we got a blind man, as I just said, a blind man. There probably were two, but one is singled out here. And he's a beggar. First of all, being blind, you know, who do you turn to if you're blind to get healed? 
I mean, who would you go to that can give you your sight back? There wasn't any. Nobody could. People are saying the same thing about many kinds of, of healing issues. Who could I go to to be healed of this torment, of this disease that they tell me is going to take my life? How can I be healed of this? And you look around and nobody can. There's nothing. You can hope for the best, but there's nothing out there that anybody can say, this will work. Most of the time, the best they can do is say, we will try this and hope it works. There's nothing, nobody to turn to. And here's a blind man, plus he's a beggar, and there's not much dignity of life in sitting on a road begging. People walk by you all the time, and because they're up and you're down, if you're sitting, they, they look down on you. Your life has little worth and value. I mean, what can you do for anybody? All you can do is seek something for yourself. I mean, it's a kind of a picture that we just gloss over when we think of these kind of things. But here is a man who is just sitting there hoping for something that would get him through the day, maybe buy him a little something tomorrow. And then he hears of Jesus coming. Now, he obviously, we have to realize this too, he obviously knew more about Jesus than people today know. He no doubt heard about that Jesus could heal or that he had healed or there were multitudes somewhere that he heard somebody talking about, about he healed all these people and people like yourself. And maybe his hope jumped up. But I think there was more to what he believed because he called him thou son of David. He didn't say, hey, healer, hey, uh, Jesus, whatever your name is, Jesus, help me. He said, thou son of David. Now, there's something theologically correct about that. Or let me say, there's something doctrinally right about that. Concerning doctrine, let me throw this in. I think the next attack, I'm not going to speak prophetically, but I have a strong belief that the next attack in the church, the next downturn in the church will be the spirit of Elijah. You know, this coming together spirit, this bringing things together in the spirit of Elijah. It's going to sound really good, but you have to do that at the expense of doctrine because you're going to also hear that we've got to get away from these doctrinal distinctions that we hold to. I mean, you know, we've got churches on every corner that won't touch each other because they don't believe the same way. And if we can get rid of these doctrinal differences that we have, Let's set all of that stuff aside. Let's just get together and do things together. And it sounds right, and it seems good. But the one thing that Paul said would issue and guarantee salvation for God's people. He said, remember in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the last part of that chapter? You don't have to turn to it, of course. But he said, if you will give yourself to this word, to reading and doctrine... You not only ensure salvation for yourself, but all those that hear you. I don't think you're ever going to see all of God's people just come together as an ecumenical movement. They'll try, they have tried, they will try again, and eventually they will when the Antichrist comes. But in preparation for that, movements have to take place. Things rise and things fall. 
But anyway, back to where I was about the son of David. He knew something more than just that this guy's a healer. This is the son of David and the lineage of David. Maybe a reference to him being the Messiah. Maybe he thought that. I don't know. But he followed him that way. He said, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's the only one that could help him. As one little lady did, you could spend all that you have on medicines and the physicians and get nothing. But not with Jesus. If you get his attention and he turns himself towards you and you engage him on his terms, you'll get what you want. Because there's nothing too hard, nothing is too difficult for him. But you noticed, when they cried out to him, he didn't respond. I think it says in verse 29, they cried out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then it goes to the next verse. It says, and when he was coming to the house. Now they followed him to the house. How difficult would it have been in a crowd, a large crowd, wide as the road, no room for stumbling around, and a blind man cannot help but stumble. He cannot see where he's going. He can follow the crowd, maybe possibly stay in touch with where Jesus is by where people are going, or maybe somebody, if he asked them, how, where is he now, they would tell him. But they never gave up. They pressed in. I think we said a while ago we ought to talk about that. There was something about Jesus that was my only hope. Without him, I am going to be blind and a beggar for the rest of my life. But not if I can get to him. Have mercy on me, son of David. Would you imagine Jesus hearing these poor people holler at him, just keep going as though they never said anything at all? Why would he do that? Would he ever do that to us? Well, now maybe you're thinking or maybe you're wondering what I'm going to say next. Would he ever let you cry out and it seems like heaven is brass? And you know it's not. You know your life is right. You know things are going well, but it doesn't seem like he's interested. And isn't that when that happens, a test of a lot of people and they turn back? And their theology becomes like this? Well... You know, I cried out, I prayed, and uh, nothing happened, and I didn't get anything from it. So apparently he, he heals if he wants to, but you can't be sure that he ever will. So they make a theology that fits their so-called experience, and they rob God of his glory because they say he could, he has, but he might not. He may not want to. He may want you blind. He may want you to be a beggar the rest of your life. There's more glory maybe in begging and being blind. That's ignorant. Jesus said for us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is he going to be blind and a beggar in heaven if he goes to heaven? Why not? Because heaven is not for blind beggars. That means you're not going to be a blind beggar in heaven. You may be on the earth, but not in heaven. Everything's going to change over there. Jesus said, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. There's such a resignation in man to his situations. 
and his problems and his flaws and his weaknesses. He is so convinced he can never do better, do more. He can never achieve and arrive at. He can never find the things that God has promised. They're always just a little too far. I'm not good enough. He's taught this. Religion has taught us to just give in to your problems. After all, God knows how you feel. He knows what you need better than you do. And if he wants you to be healed, he'll heal you. Well, if I believe like that about that, I would have no reason to have faith because it wouldn't matter what I prayed or what I believe. If he wants to, he will. If he doesn't, then it's not going to do it. My faith is aimless. Why the big deal about faith then? God wants to, he will. If he doesn't want to, he won't. No matter what you pray. Why even pray? Why even try? Just say, well, you know, here I am. If he wants me well, he'll... Like somebody once said, if he wanted me to smoke, he'd have put a chimney on my head. I mean, that's kind of a resignation that people have to their weaknesses, to their flaws. I cannot really do better. This is the way it's going to be. I'm not going to live. I'm going to die. And it's not. I mean, they just give in to that. And you've heard people at occasions on your life, as long as you can breathe, there's hope. You can hope. Now, the Bible says when Jesus came into the house. He paid no attention to this blind man until he came in the house. The blind man was hollering at him, Jesus! Cry. And they told him a couple of times, Hush! We have no regard for blind people. You're not respected much. What can you do? Who are you? Be still. You're messing up the rest of us. But he cried all the more, like Bartimaeus did. We'll get to him in a minute. And he cried out. The title of our message is Blind Men, Jesus, and Faith. That's what it's about. Maybe he was an irritant. Maybe these guys were irritating him. Maybe Jesus was saying, he's going to get it. But Jesus goes to the house, goes in the house, and there they are. They followed him all the way there. They would not give up. They would not turn back. They would not resign themselves to it's not going to work. This is the way I'm going to be the rest of my life. I'm never going to be any better. This is all I'm ever going to be. They didn't have that. He followed him all the way to the house until they got to the house. And maybe there were people around the house, and he was one of them. I'm not going to be denied. I am going to have what God has promised. Nobody else in the world can help me. He can. And when he got to the house, Jesus said, What do you want? They didn't say... Well, can you figure this out? They didn't know that smart aleck language then like we do today. He simply said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that we might receive our sight. <laughs> what did he say to them? What did he say to them? Look at verse 28. What, what did Jesus say to them? What if they had said to him, if we believe... I have followed you since the time I heard of you coming. I followed you for a half a mile or 40 miles today or whatever, a 40 yard, wherever you went, wherever house you were going to on a street, on a road, wherever you were. I never gave up following you. How can you ask me, do I believe? Of course I believe. But they didn't say that. They didn't take anything for granted. They didn't say, based on how hard I'm trying, I deserve. 
Because believing ain't got nothing to do with all your works. Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do this? He said, yes, Lord. I wouldn't have gone through what I've gone through for the last whatever time it took from where he first hollered until he went in the house. I wouldn't have stayed with it this long if I didn't believe. I'm on the edge of desperation to hear, you're all I've got. But I know you can do it. Yes, I do believe that you can. The Bible says he touched, in this case he said their eyes, so there might have been two, John 20 shares with but he touched his eyes. And what did he say to him? He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Did they get healed? They got healed. Verse 30 says, and their eyes were opened. All of a sudden, the people that had been talking to him his life, he could see their faces now. He could see his family if he had any left. He could see the rocks and the road and the sunshine and the night because everything before was just, he lived in darkness. He couldn't see where he was going or who was coming or what was coming. He could be overwhelmed by most anything because he couldn't see. Now he could. Now his eyes were open and he could see even as he was seen. You know why? Because he believed. He believed that what Jesus could do that Jesus would do, and Jesus did it. And he did it to him on the basis of his faith. True faith doesn't give up. If you've got faith in God, if you really have faith, you're not going to give up. You're going to press in. You're not going to turn back. You're not going to, well, you know, I'm going to hold fast. Remember the man that they had on a pallet that was the band of palsy. He was a frail, you talk about handicapped. This guy, he wasn't blind, but his life was basically without use. What could he do? Who could he help? Where could he go? He needed constantly to be handled, taken places. And here was about as bad a, a warped physical condition as a man could find. But four men said, you know what, Brother Warp, you know what? You can be healed. Absolutely today. No, I don't know if anybody ever told him that. I don't know if, if that was ever real. I mean, when you're like this, you're like this. There's no cure for that either. And you're like this, you're like that. And there's nothing to do about it. So... They put him on a cot. Matthew 9, Mark 2, they took him to the house where Jesus was. Again, we got to get to Jesus. Why couldn't they get in there? It was a crowd. People weren't going to let him in. There might have been others like him out there. There might have been a lots of lame and afflicted people. But these guys were not going to just sit out there and say, well, we, we're here. We meant well, and our hearts were right, but apparently it just wasn't God's will for us to get him healed because if it had been God's will, everybody would have gotten out of the way, and we would have walked in, and he would have been healed. So therefore, it's not always God's will. What cheap theology that is. What desperate nonsense that is. 
These guys said, we didn't come this far to give up, did we? Let's press in. Maybe we should have titled it Pressing In. They said, well, what are we going to do? I mean, we can't even get close to it. What are we going to do? Let's get on the roof. Get on the roof. Yeah, let's get on the roof. And, and you know, it's just straw and thatch. That's just wherever we, we hear him. He, he's, no, he's over here. Okay, he's right under me. All right, and just tear the roof off and... We can either drop him in the meeting. You know, you talk about dropping in on a meeting. Well, we could drop him in a meeting, or we could tie the cot or do something. Let's don't just stand here and let the man live like this the rest of his life or let him die. Let's do something. Let's use our faith. Well, we're trying to, but we can't get in. Let's get on the roof. All right, and we climbed on the roof, and the people in the other churches were looking at you. I knew that. You know, that bunch is really strange. That's that church. Isn't that that church? Yeah, that. Yeah. They're so disgusting. Oh, they're just an embarrassment to our community. Look what they're doing. Yeah, I see it. Somebody ought to arrest them. Is there a policeman around here? And they got up on that roof knowing what people were thinking about them but really caring more about what God said, opened the roof up, lowered the man down into that room, and Jesus, the Bible said, looked up and he saw faith. He didn't say he saw this frail little non-working incapacitated body being lowered into the meeting. The Bible said he looked up and he saw their faith. And then he said, take up your bed and walk, your sins are forgiven. And boy, the theologians had a hard time with that. Jesus said, what's easier? To say be healed or be forgiven? They often go together. But they never quit. These are pictures in the Bible that God gives people like us who are willing to receive it. Listen to me. You can't preach what I just said anywhere in a Christian place. They'll listen for a minute, but they get discouraged or disgusted and aggravated by the fact that you think that God will heal somebody just because you believe. Yeah, I believe that. Why shouldn't I believe that? Even he said, these signs shall follow those who believe. Why couldn't we cast the devil out? The disciples said, Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. Why did Peter sink? Oh, you have little faith. Why were Jesus sleeping in the boat and they woke him up? Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind, and he said, how is it you have no faith? Everything's faith-based. Your relationship, your walk, your pressing in, it's all about faith, which is a non-issue in Christianity. It's one of those things we need to eliminate from our doctrines because it's dividing us. Well, they followed him to the house. Jesus said, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yeah. Let me show you something else about pressing in. Turn to Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. Boy, you've got to like this woman's 
we used to call it spit and grits, her constitution, her willingness to hang in there, the kind of woman you'd be afraid of if she's mad because she's not going to quit. It's not how big the dog is in a dog fight, not to her. It's what kind of heart the dog has. A little dog's tough to beat if his heart's bigger than a big dog's. Whatever that's worth. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, And behold, a woman of Cana came out of the same coast, and she cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, who? O Lord, son of David. She knew something, too. This wasn't just an emotional moment. This was a knowledgeable approach to the Lord. Have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, coming from Canaan, up in the coast of the Mediterranean, up near what they call Phoenicia, she was a Canaanite, but she was called a Syrophoenician woman. She was a Gentile. She was not Jewish. But she followed she had a problem. It wasn't her physical body, but it was the daughter that came out of her womb. I said something last Sunday about the womb. Remember what the word was that the Hebrew word means womb? Compassion. Remember that? The Hebrew word compassion it literally means womb. But I said from the picture you get of the womb and what happens there, and in whom it happens, and what comes forth from it, there is an attachment which pictures compassion, the feeling a mother has for her child. Jesus even used that once. He said, a, a nursing mother could sooner forget her child than I could forget you. His compassion is greater than a mother's for her child. Remember I said that? She'll sit up all night. She'll feed her whatever she has to do. She'll do whatever she has to do for her child's well-being. At the expense of her own health and well-being, she'll do whatever she can for her child because she has compassion. She has deep feelings and affections for her child, and she cares about everything they do. She's committed because compassion is commitment. Because love is commitment, and compassion is love in action. It's what love does. It cares. It reaches out. It sacrifices. It goes to the cross, whatever it takes, to please and to satisfy and to make happy somebody else and to want to relieve the afflictions and so forth. Anyway, that's how she felt about her daughter. I don't want my daughter to live like this the rest of her life. I want my little girl to, to live normal. I want her to be able to tie her shoes and ride her bike and, and one day walk the aisle. I want to see all of that. I don't want her like this, but nobody, no medical team in the world can cast this devil out of her. Nobody. They can put drugs in her to calm her system down to where she's a listless person who is incapable of much of response. They can do that, but that's not healing. That's just relief for others. But I want her well. She's grievously vexed. I don't know what all that meant. Grievously vexed by a demon. The devil was having a party in this little girl. She came to Jesus. She came to Jesus. She said, have mercy on me. My little girl's in a bad way. And it's the devil. I want you to heal her and cast this thing out. Well, they told her to leave. And, but he said to her, 
I didn't come for you Gentiles. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus, I'm not come for you people. My mission on this earth was not specifically for you all, but for Israel. And what I bring to them is their bread, called the children's bread. It's for them, not you. Now, how many times today when somebody said, well, he wasn't very kind or very thoughtful, just like he ignored that blind man, he seemingly ignored my need. Or how deeply I felt about my daughter. Didn't show a lot of concern. I asked him to have mercy on my daughter and to heal her. And he just told me that he didn't come for her. He came for the, for the Jews. And what he had was called children's bread. So I guess, you know, if, if he'd wanted to heal my daughter, he would have. If he'd wanted to cast that devil out, he would have. But apparently he said, well, you know, apparently, apparently, it's just... Better for her to be in this condition because I'm not willing to change it. And if he's not willing to change it, then he's willing to let it be. That'd be God's will. So I guess we just have to do our best and find some kind of agency that can help us and some kind of a something or another they can do to help me, maybe lock her up or chain her. I don't know what they're going to do with her, but, I mean, it's not God's will to heal her, so we just, I mean, quit trying. Not this little Canaanite woman. Not Mrs. S and G spitting grits. She said, "You know what? Maybe I am a dog. I'm willing to humble myself to doghood. I'm willing to consider myself a dog. But master, even the dogs that you all allow around you, they eat the crumbs." that fall from your table. You know what Jesus said to her? Look at what he said. Look at what he said to her in verse 28. He said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto you even as you will. What was her will? To get her baby healed. To see her little girl restored to health and delivered from this torment. This embarrassing torment that, that you know, bless her heart. My will, oh Lord, my will is to see her healed. And Jesus said, as you will. Can that be possible that we can have our will and that God will go along with it? Was it not Jesus who said in Matthew 8, when he came down from the mountains, Behold, a leper met him and worshipped him and said unto him, Lord, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. That's where most of the church is. Lord, if you want to, you can heal all of the people in this church that we're praying for. Instantly, in a moment, Blink your eye, they're all restored perfectly back to hell. Everything that was damaged is replaced. That's called restoration. Everything that was impaired is restored. All things now are new all over again. You can do that. Could he? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God could take something that was about gone... And not only make it way from being about gone, but 
normal, and not only normal, but perfectly normal. If you believe that, then that is your will for your life. The only thing that stops us now is his will. What is his will? Would he be willing to cleanse a leper whose fingers are probably rotted off by now? He's probably got sores and white chalky stuff all over his face. He probably stinks, smells bad, he can't bathe. He's just rotting flesh, and he's going to rot until his major organs shut down. And then they put him in a ditch, cover him with dirt. Who's next? Could he fix that? And a man in that desperate situation came to him. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me whole again. And Jesus said, oh, I could. I could, but... There's more glory for me in you being like that than you being healed. Who started that? Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And you know what? The Bible says he was. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Where there were no fingers, there were fingers. Where there were Parts of his skin had rotted away. It was back. The feet that he could not stand on, now he could stand on. The stinking of his flesh only needed a bath. But can you imagine how nice it would be to get in a pool of water and bathe a perfectly clean body? Jesus can do all of that. He has made me glad. But he does it on the basis of faith. And faith is this. You must believe that before you see it, that you have it. That before you ask, he gives it. You've got to believe that. And that's where most people stumble, even in our circles. You've got to believe that before you ask, you've got it. And that before you see it, it shall be so. Before you see it. Before you hear it. Before you can feel it. Before you can taste it. None of your senses have anything to do with this. You've got to believe something in you has to grasp a hold of what he's promised in such a way that you are convinced and persuaded that he does it for you even before you see it. Those are the conditions that Jesus put on us. Jesus said, what things soever you desire. Isn't that your will? Is your desire your will? All right. He said, what things soever you desire. This is what he said. When you pray, believe that you receive that and you'll get it. I think the Greek text says, believe you have already received it. Believe that and you will. And your mind and your feelings and your education, your brain, everything that relates to this world and was trained by this world that's being retrained by God tells you, well, how can this be? How can anybody heal leprosy? Nobody can heal that. How can you heal the tormentor of a demon? Well, you can't. You can give a shot to the part of the body the demon affects and subdue it, I guess. How can you heal blindness? How can you heal all these things? You can't. But somebody can. 
His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And all it takes, all it takes, all it takes is to believe. I don't care what anybody says. I don't like what doctors say. I don't base what I believe on what they say. I don't base what I believe on what they write or anybody else. My faith is not based on what man concocts or concludes. My faith is based on what the Bible says. My faith in the world means I'm going to die. There's not much hope. It might and it might not. My faith in God says yes and amen. It just depends on where I locate myself. To say that God could is not enough. The devil knows he could. But the worst thing that happened to the devil is for you to believe because whatever he's doing, he has to let go. He absolutely has to let go. You got to be willing. You got to be willing in your prayer life to not give up. You got to be willing to press in. You've got to know that it's so sure that what he's promised, and you're going to press in just like two blind men, just like that woman of Canaan, just like a bunch of others in the Bible. I will not lay down and give up and quit. I'm going to have what he promised because he promised it to me. I don't want to be in a prison house anymore. I don't want to be bound. Jesus loosed the prisoners. He opened the prison doors. I want to live that. I want to live that. I want to live like what he came to do. He's doing it in me because I believe. I want to see eyes open. I want to see all kinds of disease eliminated from our midst and our families. No more deadly plagues. No more. He healed them all. He set us all free. Turn to Mark chapter 10 before I start yelling. Mark chapter 10, which would be fine? Well, it would be. At verse 46, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Set by the highway side begging. Seemed like we're getting a lot of blindness in here this morning. But that was the purpose of it. I chose blind because it's such a terminal thing. It's just a, the whole world accepts it as nothing they can do about it. Here's another beggar, Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road begging. In verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he too began to cry out and to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And again, many charged him, saying, shut up. And Jesus this time stopped. He stood still. Do you suppose where Jesus went there was a lot of beggars? A lot of blind and halt people? Don't you think there probably was? He didn't stop and minister to all of them like you think you would or like you think maybe he should have. He bypassed a lot of them. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, as they went into the temple to pray, Peter and John, there was a man begging there. Remember that? And Peter said, silver and gold, have I none? How many times did Jesus walk past that same man, do you suppose? Knowing that Jesus was not going to heal him, but his disciples would. He knew who he was. 
He knew what was coming. He didn't forsake him. He just, it was, wasn't the right time and the right people. So here's Bartimaeus. It's Jesus. Who? Jesus. Oh, and he started yelling. I don't think they all did, but he did. He yelled out. And he said in verse 48, that many charged him, he cried out louder. I like that. And Jesus stood still, verse 49, and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Tharsel, be of good cheer, take courage. The Lord calls you. Now notice verse 50 as a picture of faith. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Why would he do that? That's the only thing he's got. Why would a blind man, when he said, Jesus wants you, why would he lay his garment aside and head in that direction? Did he believe he was going to come back in a little bit and find it and pick it up? Perhaps so. Maybe that's what it means. But it says, And he, casting away his garment, came to Jesus, and Jesus answered and said unto them, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go your way. Go your way what? Your faith has made you whole. It's what faith does, folks. When any of you in this room are determined to latch a hold of God and what he said, and you're unwilling to turn back. And this determination is an unrelenting, I'm not going to be denied type of thing because maybe it's somebody close to you. You press in. You press in. And you also press in when you pray. Prayer that has great effect in James 5. It's not a casual dinner prayer or a casual bedtime, now I lay me down to sleep type prayer. It's the prayer of a warrior. It's the prayer of a fighter. It's the prayer of somebody who cannot do anything about anything around me. I am so unable to do anything, but God, you are more than able. And all I've got is you, and I'm leaning in your direction, and I'm pressing in because I know you're willing to heal. You've healed everybody that came to you. You heal them all, Lord. And I know that you have said, Lord, with you nothing is impossible. And you also said, if we can believe, nothing is impossible. Did you mean that, Lord? Did you mean that? A father who said to you, Lord, if you can do anything, help my son. And Jesus said, if I can do anything. This is Mark nine twenty three. If I can do anything. I think the verse says, if thou canst believe. No, he said, if you can believe, all things are possible. There is nothing that's not possible if you believe. Jesus said that. Religion didn't say that. A church doctrine didn't say that. Jesus said that. If thou canst believe, nothing is impossible. Jesus healed them all. They came to him. He didn't turn back to anybody and said, well, in your case, maybe it's not going to work. Uh, go back to Matthew's gospel. Look in chapter 12. Uh, I don't know. Maybe 
Maybe you're better off because you'd be... We only say that because we don't think we have any power to heal them. And so we, we don't want to disappoint them. So we tell them, well, if God wanted to heal you, he would have. Maybe it's another day. So just go home and look for another day. Wait for the next healer that comes by. No, sir. No, sir. In Matthew chapter 12, what a verse. In verse 15... But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him. And what did he do? He didn't ignore any of them. Great multitudes of suffering people whom I suppose uh, very few people cared about them and probably fewer than that believe they could ever be different than they are, that your condition is permanent and terminal and it's never going to change. Hogwash. Not as long as Jesus is on this earth and not as long as Jesus is here. Where is he? Because if I can get to him, I'm going to be healed. He turned nobody down. People today say, well, he could and he might, but he might not. That's not biblical. That's doubt and unbelief. And it's fostered in Christianity with people who are lying in darkness, believing such trash is true. It's not true. He healed them all. He turned nobody away. And we could conclude with all of this about what he did and what he said. We could say, one, there is no condition that God cannot heal. And second thing that we can say is that God is willing to heal. He doesn't change his mind. This word is forever settled. If you will, he wills. If he wills, you can will. And he is willing to heal. And thirdly, he requires faith. We're going to continue to live desperately until we believe. By desperate, I mean looking for something, hoping maybe this will work. Try that. Let's go there. Maybe, 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 maybe. We're just swinging at the wind, hoping we'll hit something. But we're not desperate. We have faith. Faith comes how? Let me tell you something. If and when God opens our eyes and we begin to see what he is saying, I mean to see what he said, I mean, blind people can do that. Blind people can say, oh, I see what you're saying. Well, blind people can't see physically what he's saying, but they perceive. There's a mental image. What you said, Lord, has come into focus in my life, and I can see it. Now you have a platform for faith because it's clear. That doesn't mean you're going to use it, but it's clear. At least once in your life, he'll show you. I am the Lord. Nothing is impossible to me and any thousand other things about his majesty and his might and his glory that he says about himself. Things to inspire us to know that the God we're approaching has manifested himself in Jesus Christ, made like us and healed us and made provisions for us, weak as we are, to come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need to obtain mercy and help. People like us, all it takes is faith. 
And to say, well, I believe that, but not trust in that doesn't mean you believe in that. It means you only agree with that. You agree with that, but you don't believe that. I don't mean this ugly. I think I was born with an ugly nature, but I don't mean this wrong. I think there's a lot of people who agree with volumes of theological correctness. They agree with all the, the standard orthodox statements, the historical rightness. I mean, the people that spend their whole life studying, I believe you can believe all of that and not trust it. I've read of great preachers in the past, wonderful preachers, better than maybe any of us, but better than I would ever, could ever possibly hope to be. Boy, they knew it backwards and forwards, and they didn't enjoy the benefits of their salvation. Some of them they did. Of course they were saved. They went to heaven, praise the Lord. But while they were on this earth, their benefits. And we're told not to forget them. Did you boys know that? Bless the Lord. How about you preachers? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Say the rest of it. And all that is within me, bless. Say his holy name. His holy name. He not only forgives all of our iniquities, but he heals what, Houston? All of our diseases. That's right. See, he knows that. He heals all of our diseases. These boys are going to be preachers. This bunch here is already on their way. If you're going to preach it, preach this. And don't let people scare you and make you afraid to say what's true. This is a, a great need in the church today. We're spending money we don't have to try to get well when Jesus has already given us health. Problem is, it's our rejection. It's our mild nice, humble rejection of these truths that sometimes are referred to as extreme that causes us not to have the faith we need or be able to tap into what God said. The biggest problem with blindness is when it's spiritual. Physically blind men can be saved and walk around and trust the Lord and praise the Lord. You don't have to be well and whole. You know, one of the most cheerful people in the world is Carrie Deal. One of the most cheerful people I've ever known. It doesn't take all these physical things. You just have to have something in your heart that's beyond what is normal. And I'm talking about super normal. It's something God gives. If God gives it, you can't get it by yourself. He has to give it. If God gives it, it's a super. Okay? But the worst kind of blindness is spiritual blindness. Several times, maybe seven or eight times, having eyes to see, they cannot see. They hear, but they didn't get it. And consequently, they don't enjoy what God provided through Jesus Christ. How tragic that has to be. Turn to Isaiah Chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, this is what God said. And he said, go and tell this people, hear, hear ye indeed, 
but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. That is, you don't get the picture. You don't see what I'm saying. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and then shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and what? You suppose that's required? Whether healing from the sickness of sin or healing from anything else. It's people can't see. You read the same things. Jesus said these same things in John chapter 9. You know, turn to verse 39 and 41. Jesus said, I came. And part of the judgment is this. People who could see can't see anymore. And people who couldn't see now can see. He told the Pharisees, you're blind. He didn't try to open their eyes. He didn't labor at, at getting them straightened out. He just said, you're children of the devil and you're blind. But to his people, to us, he gave something better. He gave us Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 21 says, Hear this now, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and cannot hear. Jeremiah speaks. He said, People come before me as people do. That's what they do. They're religious people. They know who I am. They come before me as people do. They practice all the things of the Old Testament system. They go through all the motions. They do all these things. But when you look at their life, Monday through Saturday, it's as though they never saw it. They never perceived what there should be. Or if they heard it, it didn't have any effect on them. They're just religious people. How disappointing to God that must be. That people are just religion. They're just religious they like to do religious things. They like the feeling they get from doing religious things. They like to satisfy themselves that, that I'm okay. My theology's okay. We're all okay. They don't like to hear, no, you're not okay. Look how well we've done. We haven't needed nothing. Jesus said, you're not well. You're blind. You're wretched. You're naked. You're miserable. Us? Are, are, are you talking to us? Yeah. He said, you're just religious people patting yourselves on the back, priding yourselves in whatever name you call yourself by and what you think you are, when really in reality you're nothing. You're zeros. But Lord, we've heard your word. We've been in your streets. He said, I never knew you. I mean, didn't he say that? Folks, there's a part of the Christianity that should bring fear and trembling. Lord God in heaven. Don't let us labor this long and go this far and miss it or be a castaway, as Paul said. Don't let that happen. Turn to Isaiah 42. Who's he saying is blind? We talk about blindness. Look at verse 18, chapter 42 and verse 18. Hear ye deaf and look, you blind, that you may see. So we're not talking about physically deaf and physically blind, but spiritually. Who is blind but, but my servant, or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but thou observest not? 
opening the ears, but he hears not. Verse 22. But this, oh Lord, listen to this. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes. And they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey. They're just being preyed on and and devoured. And nobody can deliver them. And they are for a spoil. And nobody can, look at that word, restore them. Who among you will give ears to this? Who will hearken and hear for the what? Who will hearken and hear for what? For the what? For the what? The time to come. Is there something God has to say about what's coming? If you're blind, you won't see it. You'll be devoured. The devil will process you. He'll put you into his system. He'll use a lot of logic and reason and common sense things to make you rethink your Christianity. He will teach you that it's not doctrine that is important, but smiling and and saying love that's important. You lay aside all the things that God holds us to. And God says, if they speak not according to this word, Oh, that just divides it. This word divides it. Let's quit saying all of that. Let's just, it's love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love, it's love. Help me, Michael. It's love that makes the world go round. That's what you get on the front row, but I like it. Stay here. It's just something about the word that is so demanding. It's something about doctrine that just lays heavy on your head. It's called convictions. And how much people seem to be bothered by that. Well, in closing, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. God said to Ezekiel once in chapter 12, he said, Ezekiel, he said, you live in the midst of, of a rebellious people. They're called the Lord's people, were they not? They are God's chosen people. And God says you live in the midst of a rebellious house. You know what he meant by rebellious? They have eyes to see, but they don't want to see. They have ears to hear, but they don't want to hear. You know why? Because they're rebellious. And that is, in fact, what rebellion is. Rebellion is simply, I don't want to see it. I don't want to listen to that. I'm going to go somewhere I don't have to listen to this all the time. I just don't want to keep hearing it. Well, that's your choice. You live by choices. That's one you can make. But remember, to have eyes to see and being unwilling to see what God is saying, because you don't want to change your life, or having ears to hear, you don't want to have to. He said, when you don't want to do that, you're disobedient, you're rebellious. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 12. He begins by quoting Isaiah 53. John 12, verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, He said, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who believes? Verse 39 says, therefore, Jesus said, 
Therefore, they could not believe. Now, if believing is vital, required, and necessary for anybody to relate to God, you can't see him. You must believe that he is. Remember that? So if believing is required to have even a relationship with God, Jesus said, did he say that in verse 39, therefore they could not believe? They couldn't. They could not believe. The very thing that was required, they could not have it. Whoa. Could that ever be judgment? Could it ever be judgment that people have come to the time or a place in their life? I don't want to keep listening to that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to keep having to think that's the way I've got. I don't want to just keep hearing that. Could it be possible that God says, then you won't anymore? You won't. You won't hear it anymore. Is that possible? You mean that an almighty God full of compassion, tenderness, and love could ever say to a person who did not want to hear what he had to say, then you won't anymore. Your eyes will be closed. Your ears will be shut. And what the Lord says, no matter what he's saying, you won't hear it anymore because you don't want it. You don't want it. And he said in verse 40, he has blinded whew, fear and trembling. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and that I should heal them. I think that's the worst judgment that can come on a human being in this one brief life that you get to live. I don't think anything on this earth is worse than that. Nothing, because this is eternal. They have eyes. They don't want to see. He said, okay, you won't see anymore. You read it in Romans chapter 1 and the last part of the first chapter of Romans. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So you know what it said? He gave them up. God doesn't give people up because they're having a bad day or had a hard time. He gives people up because they don't want it anymore. That's the devil that doesn't want you to want it. God simply says, I'm giving you over to the prison house and the prisoner. And you become snared. You can preach to that person. People that are humanists think, well, why didn't a loving God change all these people that couldn't believe? You ask him when you see him. God does as he wills and chooses in the kingdom of men. And if all the things that Jesus did and all the hope that he brought to this earth was pointed to us and offered to us and surrendered to his lordship in our life, and we don't want to make that decision and keep hearing how we should and how we do. If you don't want that, you'll never get it. Because there will come a day you couldn't get it if you did think you wanted it. It's over. That's the worst judgment there is. That's why the Bible says, you know, today is a day of salvation. While he speaks, respond. Come as he's talking to you. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Remember that? Calling for you and for me. I remember we used to sing that in a, as a closing hymn in our church. 
I used to always, ooh, Jesus, what a privilege. What a friend we have in Jesus who softly and tenderly calls us to him. He will meet us in the gardens of our life while the dew is still on the roses and he'll talk with us and encourage us. And he is so long suffering. We mess up a lot. We're so full of foolishness. And yet he is just constantly bringing us along like a child. It's as though we were from him and we are. And his compassions that fail not keep us in the place where he not only engraved us on his hands, but he has promised that I, which have started a good work of changing a man's life, I will finish it. And at the end, I will say to you, not to everybody, but to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. As we approach our communion table this morning, let's just take a moment to be very thankful and very grateful to God for what we've got. Let's just press in and get more of it. Amen. Father, we ask for your blessing upon this time of reflection, meditation. ask you to bless us. Give us that, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.